Get ready to step into scripture with Matt and Tina. Hey, everyone. Welcome to season four of the Step Into Scripture podcast. My name's Tina Wilson. I'm a pastor's wife and a mom of seven, and I'm the author of Step Into Scripture. And this season in our Step Into Scripture podcast, we are going to be helping lead people through a chronological reading plan of the whole Bible that goes right along with the Step Into Scripture book. I'm so excited that my husband, Matt, is hosting this season with me. Matt, if you don't mind, go ahead and introduce yourself. Tell everybody a little bit about you. I'm Matt Wilson. I'm a pastor at Ecclesia Christian Church. We actually started the church nine years ago and have been able to watch God do amazing things. I'm the author of the 40-Day Discipleship Journey, but I'm more excited about this Step into Scripture initiative that Tina has put together and how many people are a part of it. It's my honor to be her husband and the father of her children. I'm so excited to be here with you guys today. So thank you all so much for joining us. If you don't already have a copy of the Step Into Scripture book, we encourage you to get that to complement and supplement your 2024 chronological Bible reading plan. In today's episode, we want to just do an intro to the book, kind of an overview of what it looks like to go through this plan and the purpose of it, what we're actually seeking to pick out in Scripture. So I want to just begin with the dedication of this book. If you have the book, you can read this for yourself on the dedication page, but I dedicated the book to my husband, Matt, and the dedication page says, dedicated to my husband who has always strived to make me holy by the washing with water through the word, who disciples many but disciples me first, and who consistently shows me how to love the Lord's church by loving me so well. So I want to just start right there, Matt. I appreciate how you have always discipled me in scripture, and that's the reason that I'm able to sit here today with you and help lead other people through a whole Bible reading plan, and we're just really excited to be on this journey with all of you. And Matt, thank you for making that possible. It's been my honor. You know, the key to discipleship is relationship. And what greater relationship is there between husband and wife? Yeah, absolutely. So if you are doing the blue letter Bible chronological reading plan, which is what the Step Into Scripture book uses, this will look like reading two to three chapters a day um, and one or two chapters a day in the Step Into Scripture book. So all in all, this is only about a 20 minute per day commitment, 15 minutes in the Bible, five minutes in the Step Into Scripture book, and really anyone can do that. Yeah. So, you know, I, I look at it as it's a journey and you know, two to three chapters in the Bible. I mean, if, if you're not used to it, it feels a little daunting. But the truth of it is, once you start using Step Into Scripture and you start seeing all this come together, it becomes a journey and you get excited and two to three chapters a day becomes nothing. And now the temptation is not to go too far ahead. Yeah. Well, I want to start us off by just sharing a brief testimony with you all. And I've shared this before on a podcast episode. And if you've ever heard me speak in person, then you may have heard this. But whenever I start reading through the Bible with someone, I like to just lay this foundation of why I'm even sitting here in this position to help lead people through a reading plan. It's not because I'm a Bible scholar or because I have some advanced theological degree. It really has just been something birthed out of reading the Bible. And again, it really started with Matt. So Matt and I have been together since we were in high school. When I was in high school, I started dating him. He was a preacher's son. And he was the first one who started to challenge my understanding of some beliefs and some things that I thought the Bible said. And he challenged me by asking me to show him the biblical basis for some of the convictions and the beliefs that I held. And so when, when he first started to challenge me in this way, 
I initially responded with a lot of arrogance because I had been raised in Sunday school and in youth group and I went to Christian high school. And so I thought that I knew the Bible. But Matt, the more you tried to get me to sit down with an open Bible and actually have a spiritual discussion the more I realized how ill-equipped I was for something like that. I could quote plenty of memory verses, but I couldn't tell you who wrote them or what scripture surrounded these verses, what the context of these verses was. And so back then when I was a senior in high school, I don't know if you remember this as clearly as I do, but you challenged me to just read the book of Acts. He said, why don't you just read Acts so that you can gain a biblical understanding of God's plan for the salvation of his people and his plan for the establishment of his church. And, and I thought, okay, Acts, I've taken classes on Paul's missionary journeys in Christian school. And that's what I thought Acts was about, just that. But I quickly found as I opened the Bible and really started to read it for myself that I really didn't know much about it at all beyond some disjointed memory verses and stories that I had heard. I really didn't have a foundation of personal biblical knowledge that had come from my own personal study. And I really wasn't prepared to have a spiritual discussion of any depth at all. You know, the, the thing I find with most people and, and even in, in, in my walk is so many times we have this knowledge that has been given to us, so we, we believe we know what the Bible says, but we never really read the Bible. The average Christian today thinks they know what they believe yeah. because they're regurgitating things that have been said. But the truth of it is, even when they read the Bible, they're reading what they've been told to read to vindicate or validate what they've been taught. And the truth of it is, when you read yourself, you start to see, wait a minute, this isn't exactly saying what I was told it said. Right. Uh, when you read yourself, you start understanding more of the narrative that God has for you. And, and it, it takes you from this place of being programmed to a place to where it's relational. Yeah. And so now you walk in discipleship with the word of God. Well, and that was totally what I was guilty of. You said catchphrases. I just was regurgitating catchphrases from church culture. I remember one that I said to you, you actually pointed out to me, that that was a Shakespeare quote, yeah, not a Bible quote. Yeah, a lot of times people take um, older, older phrases that we see, whether it be from our forefathers or from ancient uh, poems or ancient poets or philosophers, and because they're worded in a way and in, in the the verbiage sounds biblical, people have since taken those to be quoted. I'll, I'll never forget a time a preacher. Uh, during COVID said, my favorite Bible passage is this too shall pass. And, you know, it took me a minute to where I was like, wait a minute. No, no, no. That's, that's from a legend of Solomon's ring. That's not even in the Bible, but we, we can actually quote stuff as our favorite Bible passages. They're nowhere near the Bible. That's funny. I remember Googling this too shall pass early in my Christian walk, wanting to find that scripture and not ever being able to. And I went to my pastor at the time, who was your dad. And I said, where does the Bible say this too shall pass? And he said, well, it says this came to pass, yeah. but it doesn't actually say this too shall pass. So this, I believe, is, is a struggle that is not only mine, but it's probably pretty common that we sit through so many sermons or maybe today it looks more like watch so many short videos on social media that we start to believe we know the Bible 
when in truth, we've never actually read it for ourselves. And, and in truth, some of the people who we're trusting to be our sources for Bible knowledge, they themselves may be relying more on secondary sources that they've read commentaries or other people's sermons than they are the primary source, which is the Bible itself. The danger is we hear, we hear the confidence in a person's voice. We hear, we hear the charisma when a person speaks. And so if a person is confident, and you can look at any, any con artist that's out there, the key to it is having the confidence in what you're saying. Yeah. If you're confident enough in what you're teaching somebody, the, the reality in America today is people just don't research for themselves. And so once something has become confidently taught, people will confidently repeat it. And that confidence grows in something that's not true. And so the only way we can know the truth is to go to the source of truth, and that is the Word of God. Well, I am forever indebted to you for challenging me to do that nearly 25 years ago now. And my reading of the book of Acts, which is where you told me I should start, just open your Bible and read the book of Acts. What that showed me was that I needed to commit my life to Christ in the way that he had modeled and the apostles taught which was that I needed to be baptized. I needed to receive forgiveness of my sins. I needed to receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. And so I submitted my life in that way. And that was the very beginning of a lifelong transformation that I'm still walking today. And I praise God that I'm still walking it with you. So that was in the summer after my senior year of high school that I was baptized. Right after that, went away from my freshman year of college, which was terrible because I just wanted to be with you. And Who I, blame you? I know I was so isolated living on a secular college campus in a dorm. I didn't have Christian friends. Everyone else was partying, going out, doing their thing. And I'm a newly baptized Christian, really seeking to live a holy life. But I didn't even have a church community in this new town. And so really the only solace and comfort that I found, the only anchor in my life became reading the word of God every day. And it became an addiction for me. I opened in Genesis and I just wanted to read and read and read. Even my roommate who was a professing Christian, she would get frustrated with me and say, Tina, this is not what Christianity is about. Just isolating yourself in your dorm room and reading the Bible all the time. And she was right, but for the wrong reason, because she wanted me to go out and party with her. But the more I read the Word of God, the more I wanted to read the Word of God. And, and although I had been raised in a Christian home and in a church, for the first time, my life was really changing. And I was just desiring God in a whole new way. It was almost like the indwelling of the Holy Spirit was tangible in my life. There was just such a change happening. And, and that was what started me down this path of just loving the Word of God. I came out of reading the entire Bible through that year, knowing that nothing could have ever grown me spiritually like that commitment. You know, I think one of the things that, that we miss a lot of times is Christians are really big on shoving people into the mission field. I do believe the Great Commission is our call, yeah. but I also believe there's a time in the wilderness to grow close to God. Yeah. And if we're running straight into the mission field and we don't have the sword, if we don't have the word of God, we're going unarmed. Yeah. And so we're easily defeated. So yeah, I do believe there is a, a in, in one way, you know, it's kind of crazy that your roommate was right. 
not for the reasons, but um, we don't want to just become Gnostics who sit around and sure. believe our salvation and our spiritual walk is all on knowledge. But at the same point, there are seasons where we must devote ourselves to the Word of God. I mean, look at the apostles. Why did they have deacons? Because they needed to devote themselves to prayer and to teaching the Word of God. And I wish I could take credit for telling you that you've got to read the Bible for yourself to grow. But the truth of it is that's the biblical command. Look at Paul talking to Timothy. Study to show yourself approved. A workman needs to rightly handle the word of God. So I believe there are times where we need to step into scripture and shut out everything else so that we can clarify what is God telling me to do so that we can then perform the great commission literate. And what's amazing is that scripture you just referenced from, from one of the Timothy books. I could quote that one, but for some reason it was revolutionary for someone to say to me, if you want to understand God's plan for salvation and Christ's plan for his church, go back and look at how it happened originally in scripture. And, and since then, over the years, I've been able to share that with people. And it's amazing to me how people haven't thought of that because we're just so wrapped in our church traditions and church culture in the catchphrases that somehow many of us walk our spiritual lives without ever thinking, let me see if what I'm doing actually looks like what it looked like in scripture. Yeah, I think America is caught up into the, the method of the three billies. You know, we have an American Christianity. We have a lot of American things, right? And American Christianity became all about the Crusades came all about getting people saved and getting to the next town. And everybody here should just get people saved. And so we went from making disciples to making converts, and we've got to make our way back to making disciples. And I think a helpful thing for us to understand is scripturally in the Bible, when we see 3,000 people get baptized on the day of Pentecost, when you see the entire Samaritan village get baptized and come to Christ with Philip, we miss that every place you saw thousands of people come to Jesus at one time was all in the radius of his ministry that Jesus himself had performed miracles and ministered for three and a half years. After they get outside of the radius of Jesus' ministry, it goes from household to household. Yeah. It becomes discipleship driven, not platform, not evangelism driven with converts, but with discipleship as Jesus commanded. So if you are committing to this, if you are reading the Bible, congratulations, number one. But secondly, know that this is an ongoing discipleship walk. If you're reading the Bible for the very first time, that's great. I share my story to say to you, you don't have to be a Bible scholar to decide to step into scripture. You will gain more and more understanding every time you read it. And if you're reading it for the 20th time or the 50th time, guaranteed there is still something that God has for you in this read through that you complete in 2024, because this is a faith walk that we're going to be on for the rest of our lives. And so even if you're not in a season like I described of isolating and reading the Bible, because that really is an intense growth period that's happening in your life, I hope that this will always be a background song going on in your life, that you will have Amen. a commitment to reading it continually because it makes a huge difference. Matt, something that you've shared with our home church congregation here at Ecclesia is, is what difference it's been found to make by many studies in people's lives when they actually commit themselves to this. Yeah, definitely. For more than eight years, the Center for Bible Engagement has researched what it's like for people that at least four times a week are engaging with the Bible, whether it be physically reading it or if it is that they are they're even audibly listening to it, but they are in the Word of God. 
Yeah. That's the key. And so I just, just want to show that the findings are consistent with engaging in the Bible four or more times a week. And so here's what they found, summarizing across all the studies, that any time a person engages with the Bible four or more times a week, the odds of giving into these temptations decreases, right? So drinking to excess decreases by 60 2%. How many times have you heard somebody say, man, I just, I can't, I can't kick this, but we're doing all the self-help programs, but the Bible is the greatest self-help right. program. I'm not saying that you will completely alleviate it, but by 62%, they're finding that people decrease in their excess drinking. Here's one that's mind blowing because this has been something that's challenged men, but now the number one group of people that are being affected by this are young girls and it's viewing pornography. And that decreased by 59%. Here's one that blew my mind. Having sex outside of marriage, again, reduced by 59%. Gambling, reduced by 45%. Lashing out in anger, Lord knows we all need help with this one, reduced by 31%. It's a little bit harder to kick. Um, gossiping, again, a juggernaut of sin, and it, it reduced by 28%. Wow. Lying, 28%. Here's one that is mind-blowing, neglecting family. In spending time in God's word, people stop neglecting their family That's by amazing. 26%. Overeating or mishandling food, 20%. You want a diet plan? The word of God. How about this one, mishandling money? It reduced by 20% just by engaging in the word of God. And so church leaders, I just want to share with you some statistics that they found by our church people, our, our congregants, people that are getting involved in reading the Bible four or more times a week. And this is so amazing. Giving financially to a church increased by 416%. Wow. Memorizing scripture increased by 407%. So you're equipping the church financially and you're equipping the believers with the word of God so that they can defend themselves. Yeah. We've seen what this was when a, even Jesus was, was quoted scripture falsely by Satan and he needed to be able to quote it back accurately. Right. How many times we just talked about people that, that have been taught the word wrong, but they've not learned the word to be able to speak truth into yeah. it. And so they're being led astray. Here's the big one. Sharing their faith with others increased by 228%. And here's, here's the thing. It's not just about the local church. It's about what God is doing everywhere. The generosity it created in, in the people that consume the Bible four more times a week, it caused them to give financially to other institutions or causes outside of the church by a growth of 218%. Wow. That's amazing. So let's look at Hebrews 4.12. For the word of God is alive and it's active. Yeah. Sharper than any double-edged sword. It penetrates even to dividing soul and spirit, joints and marrow. It judges the thoughts and attitudes of the heart. One thing that's so important to understand as we go through this is the word of God is not just our weapon. It's our defense. It is safety. The word of God is what guides us through. Yeah. And so this podcast is an awesome opportunity. It's an invitation for everybody to join this journey of stepping into scripture. And I hope that people are going to check out what it feels like. What, they're going to look at their own lives and evaluate what this is. And, and I hope people don't just check out of this and say, oh, that's too simple. That's too easy a solution. It doesn't work like that. And so I want to make this assertion um, that the very best way that we can understand the Bible and grow in our personal relationship with God is by doing what we just described, 
reading the Bible daily, intentionally, strategically. And I know this is outside of the norm. People try and say we're New Testament Christians, and that's true, but the New Testament is nothing without the Old Testament. Yeah. So you got to go Genesis to Revelation and you do it again and again, because as we do, we grow in our understanding and we start breaking those walls of the things we always thought versus the things we're coming to understand. You know, I look at like me and you in our marriage. Somebody can say, well, oh, we're married now. So the, the Old Testament of Tina doesn't matter. Her past doesn't matter. But if I don't know your past, if I don't know who you are and where you come from, I'm going to continually make mistakes in our future. Yeah. But the more I know you, all of you, the old you, you now, we grow in who you are in the future and who we are. As the two become one, yeah. our past helps shape our future. Yeah. Well, I appreciate you saying that too, that, that sometimes people may think it feels like an oversimplification to just read the Bible, that your life can be changed so much by just reading the Bible. And I think maybe social media has led us to think that because um, I don't know necessarily what it looks like for men, but I know for women, sometimes Bible study on social media becomes more of an aesthetic than a spiritual discipline. You know, um, we have to have a cup of coffee with beautiful latte art on top and have our Bible open and, you know, the latest journaling Bible where we're doodling deep truths of the faith in the margins. And, and I want to just release people from that. Your Bible study doesn't have to look like something worthy of taking a picture of and posting on the internet for everyone to see. You and I have been through many seasons where our daily engagement with the Bible is happening while we're running on an elliptical and there are AirPods in our ears and we're both listening and highlighting and then we get together afterwards and talk about the great things that we discovered in God's word that day. Yeah, the, the, the time in the Bible doesn't need to look like scrap, it doesn't have to look like scrapbooking scripture or Bibles and barbells. It's, it's not about the method. I can't tell you how many times I've had preachers say, I get up at 4 a.m. and I start reading the Bible because Jesus was up early. I'm like, well, okay, well, Jesus is up with me in the middle of the night when I'm, when I'm reading. We, we, we try to find these things to emulate, but the truth of it is just spend time with God. Be with God. Get in his word how you get in his word. Right. So whatever that reading looks like for you, don't feel like it's insufficient. If you are engaging daily with the word of God, start in Genesis, open it, start reading. Again, if you're following the step into scripture plan, it's two to three chapters a day. You don't have to read for an hour. 15 minutes a day of reading is going to take you through the entire Bible this year, and it can be in whatever setting works best for you. I've said many times, I'm an auditory learner. I can open a paper Bible and read, and maybe after 15 minutes, not have processed any of it just because I consume the words. But when I'm looking at the words and listening to the words, I process much better. And so if that's you, the you version will read the Bible to you. You know, Bible Gateway actually has an adventure version of it. Ooh. So you listen, and it's got sound effects. It's got like swords clanging in the battle scenes. And for someone like me, you know, I'm cinematic. And so for me, I, I, you know, I, I enjoy audio, but I also enjoy being able to visualize. My imagination has to be at work. And that's an amazing version. If you're someone that's like, man, just hearing someone read the Bible, I need more. It's really awesome because they, it's, it's more of a dramatized version. Right. 
And, and whatever excuse, if you've got excuses right now that are starting to play in your mind about why this won't work, maybe you think it's just going to be too hard. The Bible has too much in it that you can't understand. You aren't ready to make the time commitment, which again, we all really do have time. It's only about 15 minutes a day. You think maybe what you read in the Old Testament is going to be irrelevant. I want to just point you back towards season one of this podcast. We have all probably felt those objections. We've heard those objections. And so the very first season of this podcast, we dedicated solely to answering those objections and not answering them with our opinions, but answering them actually with scripture. But hopefully if you've made it to this point, you're in this, you're listening to this introduction, it's because you've already made the commitment. You've already overcome the excuses. And if they start to creep in, go back to season one and we'll address those. But we are excited for everyone who is ready to make the commitment because like you said, Matt, this is the very best spiritual discipline that's going to grow you, transform your life because you are going to step into a meta narrative unlike anything else. You know, I've got a friend, Barry Park. He does this thing. I, I kind of mentioned it a minute ago, Bibles and Barbells. He, he does a Bible study with men at the gym. Great way to engage people, right? But one of the things that I've heard him say multiple times is like, look, you can work out all you want, but if you don't work out and have the proper diet, if you don't have the commitment to those, it's not going to happen. So you can you can watch YouTube videos. You can you can engage in in the same methods you've had your whole life. But unless you're going to work out, like put the time into the Bible, unless you're going to have the proper diet of what's coming in, you're not going to see a spiritual change. You're not going to see the growth you're looking for. Just like going to the gym, if you don't put the time in, you're not going to get it. But the thing of it is, don't overdo yourself day one come in and grow at a rate that's manageable. And that's why I love the way you've got this laid out. Well, and what we like to do in the Step Into Scripture study and what we'll be doing in this podcast is looking at how the Bible, although it's 66 books, it's all telling one story and it's one Christ-centered story. And we're going to be looking for him on every page. So Matt, if you don't mind, just give us an overview of what that looks like, this meta-narrative. So... I think for a lot of people, we've got to understand that God is the same God in the beginning as he was during the New Testament, and he's the same God today. So we have these, these cultural concepts of God being a God of the Old Testament and being wrath, and Jesus of the New Testament being this love savior who, who kind of comes as a a hippie that's, that's just wanting to hold hands with everybody and sing Kumbaya. And they missed that Jesus said, if you know me, you know the Father. And so everything you love about Jesus is, is in God. Jesus came to show God. So throughout the Old Testament, not only do we see, according to John, Jesus in the beginning, but we see Jesus all throughout the Bible through the character of God. And yes, there are some harsh times in the Old Testament, but Jesus flipped tables in the New Testament. And we read that and we're like, well, I completely understand why. Once you understand the harmony of God, and Christ, and you see this narrative throughout the Bible, you understand the hard times in the Old Testament the same way you understand Jesus' hard times in the New Testament. But the same way we see the love and the hope of Jesus Christ, when you stop hearing the worldly narrative or the condensed version of the Bible, and you see even when God gives judgment in the Old Testament, if you'll read the whole word, you see this grace and this, ju this justice that's all throughout it. But here's the picture. In the beginning, God wanted his people to be in harmony and fellowship with him and in this loving relationship. We broke that. 
And if you look through the Old Testament, you're going to see this narrative of God saying, I'm going to fix this. I'm going to bring us back together. Just like a couple that's separated, God says, I'm going to do the work and do what it takes to heal this relationship, to heal this marriage. And so you watch throughout the Old Testament as God is setting up all of the, all of the steps to be able to build this bridge, this bond, this unity back together. And then the New Testament, we see the culmination of all God's labor, all God's work, everything he's established. And then you get to Revelation and you see this this reunion this this groom and bride coming yeah. back together and it's so beautiful all of heaven all of creation is testifying to their love and then you see this eternity this eternity of heaven with them surrounded together with with nothing but love and peace and that's the bible story is what we what we end with is what we began with yeah. and god's whole goal was to bring that love back together and to bring it together through the sacrifice of Jesus. Yeah, it's the sacrifice of the groom. Yes. Like, hey, I'm going to do what it takes for us to work out. Yeah. You know, there's times even in our marriage, in any relationship, people are going to have hard times. Yeah. And you can get caught up in, well, I, it's not my fault, or, or she did this, or he did this, and so they better get it right or else I'm done. And the truth of it is, no, God sets the perfect example. Yeah. And that's the fact of, if I love you, then I'm going to do what it takes. Yes. And if you see me do what it takes, then you'll do what it takes. Absolutely. Totally off topic. But anytime a woman comes to me with an issue over the submission versus submit to your husband, I say, listen, when you've got a man who's doing his part, loving you like Christ loved the church, you have no problem submitting to him. That's actually a joy. Yeah. So, this whole meta narrative, I love what Matt is laying out here is that it's Christ-centered. The God of the Old Testament is the God of the New Testament. Everything that we are reading in Scripture is about Jesus. We find him written on every page, even of the Old Testament. And so this first semester of Bible study, the first 90 days, if you're using Step Into Scripture, hopefully you've already noticed the layout of this, the structure. The first 90 days is called shadows. So days one to 90 in your reading are going to take you from Adam to Deborah. And just a few verses that kind of give us an overview of these sections will point to Hebrews 10.1. It says the law is only a shadow of the good things that are coming, not the realities themselves. This section of scripture is filled with shadows. And then Colossians 2.17 says these, and here we're referring to the festivals, the celebrations, the Sabbaths of the Old Testament are a shadow of things that were to come. The reality, however, is found in Christ. So through this first 90 days of your Bible reading, you are going to meet many people who shadow Christ in some way. Men like Adam and Moses who are shadows of a Messiah who would come and be a new Adam who would deliver us from our slavery, our bondage to sin. We're going to see the implementation of festivals like the Passover, which is going to be a shadow of a day when God's wrath would pass over all of us through the blood of the Lamb, Jesus Christ, that covers us. We're going to learn about how all of these 
things in the Old Testament that maybe if you've tried to read them before and fallen off because they feel irrelevant actually are very relevant for us because what they're doing is shadowing a reality that was to come in Christ. And man, when you read these first and then you get to the New Testament, you see it in a whole new way. You know, one of the things that's a benefit of this is just now for the first time, and I've, I've been teaching this, but for the first time, even looking at how you have this starting from Adam to Deborah. Uh, once you read the Bible again and again, you start seeing these pieces of God's narrative. And just look at Adam to Deborah. Do you see a connection there? Adam was, he was supposed to be in charge of the garden and the snake wow. came in and he tempted Eve while Adam was there, but he went around Adam because Adam wasn't doing what he was supposed to do. Deborah became a great judge and a great leader. Why? Because there was no man willing to do his job oh, wow. as a judge for the people. She tried to give it away. You just talked about submission. She tried to submit, but the men wouldn't take it. And so she's clear on, okay, then victory is going to go to a woman and you're going to have to deal with that. But this, I just think it's perfect that even in that, you can see this, this, this tie of how scripture, the same problem problems we have. Yeah. The same problems we have with Adam are the same problems we have during the day of Deborah. But what's beautiful is God uses both women to bring about victory. Eve through her womb and Deborah through her wisdom. It's incredible. The structure of the Bible, which some of that will come alive through step into scripture and some of it you will discover yourself because like you shared from Hebrews, this is a living word. It continually teaches us and informs us. It never gets old, no matter how many times we read it. So in these next 90 days of this Bible reading plan, as you listen to this podcast, you're going to go through Genesis, Job, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy, and Joshua, and we'll finish at the very beginning beginning of the book of Judges, like you said, with Deborah. And through all of these books, we're going to look for examples of shadows of Christ. So by the time we come to the end of these 13 weeks that are making up season four of this podcast, Shadows, we will have seen fulfillments of every promise that God made to the family of Abraham, who will be introduced to in the book of Genesis but not just to that family. What's incredible is that we are going to find that all of these fulfillments were shadows of fulfillments that were also for us, not only for the nation of Israel. So at the end of this season, in your reading, you will have seen God deliver the Israelites from bondage. God multiply their number. God come and dwell among them. You will have seen God set them apart as his special people, give them victory in their conquest in Canaan, and grant them rest in their inheritance. Now, those are very specific promises that God made to this family of Abraham that we're going to trace through the next 90 days. But those promises shadowed something much greater for all of us. Yeah, definitely the fulfillments. But I just want to say this before we move into that, please don't get lost in Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy. Yeah. So many times I hear people say, oh, I'm just going to skip the books of the law because that's just too much and it doesn't have anything to do with us. As we go through, you're going to realize how much of this, how much of this scripture actually impacts the New Testament. Yeah. World history science, and what Jesus Christ fulfills. So as we step into it, we start seeing God sets us free from the bondage of sin. And if we read in Romans 6, verse 6, it says, For we know that our old self was crucified with him, so that the body ruled by sin might be done away with, that we should no longer be slaves to sin, 
because anyone who has died has been set free from sin. Christ fulfilled the sin from the Old Testament and, and all the reason for those rules and regulations and laws, but he put it to death on the cross. And when we are immersed with him, we not only are buried in baptism, but we die on the cross with him. Yeah. So I just, for this moment, I just want you to see the God that we read about throughout the Bible was willing to go to a cross for us to be rejected, to be abandoned, to be denied, to be persecuted, despised and rejected. And in this moment, we, we can get caught up in this place of like, God, I wish I could I wish I could do something in that moment to be there. And you are, according to Romans, you are crucified with Christ when you're baptized. So when he's on the cross, I'm with him. When yeah. he's buried in that tomb, I'm with him. And when he resurrects, I'm with him. Yeah. And so then he continues to multiply the number of his people. So he restores us from that garden relationship to a new relationship with him. But he continues to multiply just as he did in the beginning. He wants to bless us to go and subdue the earth, right? And so in Acts 5.14, it says, Nevertheless, more and more men and women believed in the Lord and were added to their number. The garden is growing. Yes. The, the, the population of this kingdom is growing. John 14, 23, God dwells among us, just like in the beginning. As Jesus put it, anyone who loves me will obey my teaching. My Father will love them, and we will come to them and make our home with them. That's God with us. Yeah. That's Emmanuel right there. And so God set us apart as a special people. Look at 1 John chapter 3, verse 1. See what great love the Father has lavished on us, that we should be called children of God. And that is what we are. The reason the world does not know us is that it did not know him. And then we see God has given us victory in expanding his kingdom. What an honor is that? So Matthew 28, 19 through 20, the great commission. This is the one with all authority in heaven and on earth saying to us, therefore go make disciples of all nations, baptizing them. You ready for it? This is my favorite part. In the name of the only time the authority of the Trinity by name is given to any action, in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. And I love this. Surely I am always with you to the very end of the age. And then God promised us rest in our inheritance. And I believe everybody today is looking for that time of rest. In Revelation 4.13, it says, Then I heard a voice from heaven say, Write this. Blessed are the dead who die in the Lord from now on. Yes, says the Spirit, they will rest from their labor, from their deeds will follow them. And if anyone has ever lost a loved one that is in Christ, they are blessed. They are resting in the Lord and they have eternity in the presence of God. The promises to Israel in the old covenant are shadows. So every time we see God set up a coming resolution, a, yeah. coming, a coming victory over the conflict. Every time we see this in the Old Testament, we're like, well, where's it at? How's he going to do it? When we read the New Testament, we see it all come together. Yes. And we realize now that today we are living in that. Yes. And the victory is still coming. The promise is still being fulfilled. And we are still his people. And one day we're going to have complete victory. Just check out 1 Corinthians 1, 18 through 20. For no matter how many promises God has made, I love this, come on, they are yes 
in Christ. Yeah. So what, you ever had that time like, well, you promised, you promised. And no matter how many times God has promised something, he's not a void. In Christ, his answer is yes. yes. And so through him, the amen is spoken by us to the glory of God. That's so awesome. That's and we are living in that. So from Genesis to Revelation, God's giving his promise and then he's fulfilling it. When we're asking God, but your promise, he's saying, yes, I will fulfill my promise. And so our response, because the Holy Spirit is, is saying, amen. Yes, yeah. thank you. That's that glorious gratification. And the whole Bible from old covenant to new is the story of God's invitation for us to be a part of this. He wants us to return and be in that perfect love, to stay in that love with him. And he kept his side of the covenant. That's the biggest thing. The eternal terms were ratified in the blood of yeah. his son, Jesus. His side is done. That's what the Old and the New Testament are. God, God's side began. God rectified it. He sent Jesus. Everything God has promised has been kept. It's up to us now right. to receive, keep our end so that the culmination, the bride and the groom coming together for eternity can happen. Absolutely. So if, if you have not known quite what to do with the Old Testament, I hope that this will give you some encouragement as you start to jump into it, as you see that, that even the promises that seems specific to the family of Abraham. I'm going to deliver you into the land of Canaan that you're going to conquer. Those are all shadows of the kingdom victory that we're still walking in and that God is still giving us today in Christ. So as we close this episode, we want to leave you just with a few questions for reflection, and we'll do this each week. Number one, have you ever read the whole Bible? And if your answer is, I think so, maybe just not in order, then the answer really is no. Because once you've read the whole thing and you read that last amen in the last chapter of Revelation, your life is going to be changed. And uh -huh. I'm thankful that we get to walk through this podcast and experience that with you. If you've not read it, what's kept you from reading it? Whatever excuse you have, again, you can go back to season one of this podcast and get a biblical answer for it. But I promise you, it's not valid because the Bible says so. And finally, have you ever considered how we need to shift our perspective as we read the Bible from me-centered? Well, this isn't about me. It's about ancient Israel. And instead, make it God-centered so that we can learn to rightly understand and apply all these scriptures. And those are just a few questions to consider as you get ready to start this journey beginning in Genesis chapter 1. And we're going to get back together next week and talk a little bit about our week one reading which is going to take you through a key event in world history, the Tower of Babel. So we will see you back next week.